Well, Christmas is a season filled with giving and receiving gifts. And I wonder if you've recognized something that I have, which is sometimes, depending on who the gift is going to, <laughs> there can be a little bit of pressure around whether you got the right gift. Um, and I wonder if you've ever happened to be excited about a gift that you purchased for that special someone and if ever that gift that you thought was going to be perfect wasn't and did not hit exactly the way you had thought it would. And all the husbands in the room today are thinking or online, yes, I've been there. Absolutely. I know how that feels when the gift doesn't hit. I was uh, talking to a friend of mine a few years ago, and he had an absolutely hilarious and unbelievable story about something that happened like that to him. So he had purchased uh, some gifts for his wife uh, well ahead of Christmas. He wrapped the box and put it in the closet in their room. His wife saw the wrapped box with her name on it and uh, curiosity got the best of her. So one day while he was at work, she decided to very carefully unwrap the paper so no one would even notice and take it off and then also open the box up and it was closed. But they were the wrong size and she really didn't like them anyway. They didn't hit. So what she did was Without telling him, she went to the store and exchanged them for clothes that she did like. And then she put the new clothes back in the box, took the paper that she had carefully taken off and rewrapped the package. And then you can just imagine on Christmas how her husband was surprised when she opened that gift and inside of it was not the thing that he had put in there. You can just imagine as he told that story uh, just how hilarious I thought that was. But it proves the, the point that maybe you felt sometimes that sometimes we might happen to give the wrong gift. What we're recognizing this Christmas season is this, that at Christmas, God gave us exactly what we needed. You see, we might get gifts wrong, the gifts under the tree. God did not get things wrong when he gave us Jesus as Savior. He gave us exactly what we needed. And yet, if you were to have written the details of the story of what it would look like for God to come to earth, I doubt very much that you would have written it in the way that it actually happened. The details of what happened not only on Christmas, but the weeks leading up to it or the months leading up to it, in many ways are totally unexpected and can be filled and are filled with a bunch of surprises. And what we learned last week is this, that God did what nobody expected. It was unexpected how it happened to accomplish what nobody imagined. Part of the reason why some of these things seem to be so unexpected is that people were waiting for a savior that they thought would be different than the one that we truly needed in the, the things that they were looking for in what he would come to do and how he would come and why he would come 
was very different from those Old Testament believers, what they thought to the reality of what we and them really needed. And so today we're going to continue with some unexpected parts of the first Christmas by looking at a very unexpected turn of events that happened for a young girl in the town of Nazareth. But before I talk about how the plans in her life changed, I want to ask you a question. Has your life turned out exactly the way you expected? You know, um, if you had a chance 10, 20, 30 years ago to write what your life would look like today, would the story that you would have written looked exactly the way it is today? I mean, we have plans for how our career would go or plans for how dating would go or plans for the number of kids we might have or where we might live or where our grandkids might live. There's just so many things that we think about when we think about what our life might look like and who's around us and all that kind of stuff. And the reality is, well, it's our first fill-in for today, that life doesn't always turn out the way we planned. If you've felt like the script you would have written for your life hasn't happened the way you would have planned it, I want you to know, and maybe this can be a little bit comforting, you're not alone. That in fact, Maybe I could have said, life never turns out the way we exactly had planned. And there are lots of reasons for that. I'm going to put them into two categories, why life doesn't always turn out the way we planned. Um, The first is this. Sometimes it doesn't happen because of decisions we've made. Sometimes life doesn't turn out the way we wanted, and we just have to take ownership of that. Because there were certain things we did or did not do that contributed to the reality that we're living in right now. Think about maybe you had high aspirations for your career. But if you were to be honest, you didn't work as hard as you could have. You weren't maybe as nice to the people around you or respectful as you should have. And you showed up late a lot. It would be no surprise then that maybe you didn't get where you thought you might be. Um, Or maybe when it comes to a very healthy and very vibrant marriage relationship, if we hold grudges or don't forgive or don't put in the effort with the person we're married to, it should be no surprise then if, if marriage doesn't turn out quite as idyllic as what we thought it might. So sometimes... Life doesn't go as planned because of decisions we've made, but we're going to talk about a different category today. And it's one that's maybe even harder for us sometimes to navigate. Sometimes life doesn't go the way we planned because of circumstances that we can't control. Take that same topic of a career. Maybe you did work hard and maybe you did do all that you could. Maybe you gave it your best every single day and yet you still lost your job or you still didn't get the promotion. That happens, doesn't it? Or or maybe you took the right vitamins and you exercised daily and you got enough sleep and yet still your health or the health of the people around you isn't the way that you would have liked or 
that you would have wanted. And frankly, this category is definitely the harder one to navigate because we can understand better when it's decisions we've made that things won't turn out the way we'd have wanted. But when we seem to be innocent bystanders to life, that can be so much more difficult when the unexpected happens and we're forced to, dare I say, (laughs) pivot from where we had originally thought and planned life to take us. That's what happened to this young girl in the town of Nazareth 2,000 years ago. And as we all at times face, how do I navigate changed plans in my life, the unexpected that happens? How do I get through that? How do I navigate it? We're able to learn from this young girl 2,000 years ago. So we're going to turn to the account of Jesus' birth written by Luke. Last week, we looked a little bit at Matthew's account, and he was one of uh, Jesus' 12 disciples. Luke was not one of the 12 disciples. Uh, He actually was someone who uh, went about to interview all a bunch of different people who were a part of Jesus' life. And I am very confident that he spent some days with Mary Uh, asking her about Christmas, Jesus' birth, and about her interaction um, with Jesus and and wrote some of that stuff down. So we're going to turn to his account in Luke chapter 1, today beginning with verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, and I'm going to stop there, so just to make sure we're all on the same page, Elizabeth is Mary's, that's the girl we're going to meet, Mary's cousin, And she, in also a miraculous way, became pregnant with someone who we would um, come to know as John the Baptist. So it was the sixth month of her pregnancy with John the Baptist that God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph. He was a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. So I want to just go through a few of the details we learn about Mary right away from Luke. The the first thing is this, that she's from Nazareth. And the thing I want you to recognize first and foremost is that anyone from Nazareth would not have thought that God's son would come from them. It was a nowhere town where, in fact, years later, Philip, one of the 12 disciples, asked this when he found out that Jesus was born in Nazareth. He said, can anything good come from Nazareth? It's a nowhere town that nothing important really was expected to come from. That's where Mary was from. The other thing it tells us is that she was pledged to be married. And I would say that probably our modern equivalency would be engagement, usually being pledged to be married to someone would last for about a year or so. And it was, it was such a commitment that you actually needed a certificate of divorce in order to break a pledge. And yet during this time frame, again, much like engagement, um, that future husband and wife were uh, supposed to live apart and not come together until they were married. Um, the other thing we recognize of the fact that Mary was pledged to be married is that we recognize a little bit about her age. If you were to look at your nativity scene under the Christmas tree or out in the front yard, if you had to guesstimate what the Mary figurine 
looks like from an age perspective. I think most nativities I've seen is 30-year-old Mary or so, right? But a girl, when she was pledged to be married, was usually 14 or 15 years old. So don't think 30-year-old. Think eighth grader or ninth grader. And then the other thing we learn about Mary is that she was a virgin, which is kind of a weird detail to bring up when you're introducing someone for the very first time. I get it. But for those of you who know this account, understand why Luke would mention this as we continue with the next details. Verse 28, that angel Gabriel went to Mary and said, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. I want to talk about that title, highly favored. It's one Greek word, and it comes from the root where we get the word grace from, charis. And so what Gabriel is calling Mary is someone who received undeserved favor from God. Someone who, again was a nobody from nowhere, but God was intending to use this nobody from nowhere in a very special way, in a very important way. She was going to receive an undeserved gift and in that way be recipient of undeserved love. She was highly favored. This is gonna, again, come up very important a little bit later. Verse 29. Mary was greatly troubled at his words. She was surprised as you would be if an angel came down and started talking to you. Mary is greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, you don't need to be afraid, Mary. You have found favor. Again, that charis word, that grace word. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus, verse 32. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. Mary is recognizing this is not gonna be a normal conception and this baby is not gonna be a normal baby. It's not gonna be the son of Joseph or the son of Mary necessarily. He's gonna have a title It's going to be the son of God, the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. We looked at the unexpected family lineage and the the people who are in that family line last week. And he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. And so the angel Gabriel comes to this girl in Nazareth and totally blows up her life. You see, Mary knew that a savior would be coming. So did God's people for thousands of years. They knew that God had promised there to be a Messiah. And so Mary, being a good Jewish girl, she knew the promises. And in fact, there even was a promise given by Isaiah about 700 years before Christmas that hinted at the idea that the Savior would be born of a virgin. And yet there was a lot that was fuzzy about all of this. And for Mary, she knew that a Savior would be coming, but here's what she didn't know. She didn't know how his story, God's story, 
would intersect with her story. She had no clue that she was going to be a primary player in the coming of the Savior. She had no idea that she was going to be the virgin, Mary, the virgin mother of the Son of God, the Savior. Her plans for her life were not the same as God's plan for her life. And I want you to recognize this reality, and it's, it's so important, it's our next fill-in, that God's plan is better, always. I'm gonna say that again, because if we could just put this down into our hearts and recognize it, it would make a world of a difference for us. I didn't write that God's plan is more comfortable always, or God's plan is going to make us, in quotes, happier always. But what is true is that God's plan is better always. You know, in this case, if we had written the story of how God's son would come to earth, we probably would have written entirely differently with uh, maybe a, an angel parade and trumpets and you know, one of those smoke machines that gets people hyped for the coming of the Son of God. And yet, God's plan was better. A humble girl in Nazareth that Jesus would spend nine months, the Son of God, the creator of all, in the womb of a young woman. Why was it better? Well, that's the only way that it could happen for us to have the perfect substitute that we needed. I mean, this savior could not have had two earthly parents. He had to be the son of God. You know why? Because every single human being since the fall into sin was born with a sinful nature. And someone with that sin nature could not have been the perfect substitute in our place. And so he had the savior to come from God. And yet at the very same time, he needed to be human. Why? Lots of reasons, but here's the one I'm gonna focus on right now is that God doesn't die. God is eternal. And it was only with that human nature, being born of Mary, being Mary's son, that he would be able to die in our place. And I know when you think about God, Jesus being both God and man, it just boggles the mind. Even as a pastor who've studied this all of my life, I can't tell you that I understand every little single detail of this. But what I do see is that God had a perfect plan and he knew what the Savior would be like and what he needed to do. He needed to be both God and both man. And God's plan is better, always. So how did Mary react as her life just got blown up? Well, she asks a question. Verse 34, 
How will this be? How's this going to work? Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin. You know, I think I'd probably have the same question. How am I going to have a child? How am I going to conceive? Okay, Gabriel, I believe you. I'm going to have a baby. She wasn't doubting it. She was just saying, okay, um, I don't know what happens in other places, Gabriel, that you visit, but in Nazareth, virgin girls don't usually have children. How is this all going to work? What's going to happen? And in fact, in this question, we don't see necessarily Mary doubting God. What we see is her doing what every Christian should do, to ask questions, be inquisitive, try to grow in our understanding, even if at times our ability to understand the omniscient mind of God lacks a little bit. We want to continue to be on a journey of learning and understanding. That's what Mary was doing. Verse 35, the angel answered, here's how it will happen. The Holy Spirit will come on you. He's going to do this miraculous thing inside you. And the power of the Most High, the power of God will overshadow you so that the Holy One to be born will be God, will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who is said to be unable to conceive, that being Elizabeth, for those of you who don't know that account, um, she was well past childbearing years. She's in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. Let's transition back to our lives. Because I think we learned some things from Mary when there are unexpected plans that happen in our lives. And I want you to realize that Mary had plans. Doesn't every bride have plans? Dare I say, every girl has plans for what her wedding might look like and for what her marriage might be like. And you can just imagine Mary in her little journal um, writing all the details about how the venue is going to be perfect and the dress is going to fit and the DJ is awesome and the food is delicious and everyone's going to be there because there is going to be no COVID this year. And, um, and we're going to have an awesome family. And Joseph, he's not rich, but he's a good man. And we're going to have a good life together. And people are going to think highly of us as we did things the right way. And in this one visit from an angel, all of that changed. Mary had plans, but Mary's plans were changed. I don't know that we think enough about what those nine months would have been like for Mary. You see, a few months into this pregnancy, she would start to show. She would start to have a baby bump. And she probably wore double XL sweatshirts for a while so that no one would notice. And eventually she went to cousin Elizabeth's home. But people, many knew that she was pregnant and they would have started talking. And you can imagine that instead of being excited for her life to come, and for her marriage and for the future, she was now fearful as there was a very big stigma around those who got pregnant before they were married. And in fact, some people were even stoned for that. 
And you can imagine that instead of good words that people had for Mary, especially in that day and age, that there now would be labels attached to her that no respectable girl or boy would ever want attached to their name. See, where we sit 2,000 years later, we know how everything worked out and we know that things worked out the way they were supposed to. But when you're Mary, when you're in the middle of it, when you're having to endure the details that come with a life change, it is totally different. She's living through it. Like maybe you're living through something right now. In the moment, it was hard for her an unexpected pregnancy and an unexpected change. So how did Mary respond to this announcement? Verse 38, I'm the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. I'm the Lord's servant, she responds in a way that almost seems unbelievable, doesn't it? It's, it's a better response from that 14-year-old girl than I think I would have had. It's a, a total submission to God's plan and God's will for her life. And it's where we want to be someday. It's where we want to get to in our lives when plans change, but here's what I'll say, and I need to acknowledge this because this isn't easy. This is not an easy thing to do. When you had plans and you had expectations for your life, for your family life, about your career, about whatever it is, about your your time in school, and things don't happen the way you planned, yes, we need to get to a place of submission, but it's really hard to do. In fact, a lot of times what we do is we hold on so tightly to those other plans that it can be easy to become bitter and angry and crabby a lot. And I get it. But here's what I want you to know. Oftentimes when that happens, there can be a sea of blessings all around you or me. And yet we're so focused on what did not happen that we miss it. We live in the cloud of this unexpected change and forget the blessings that are all around us. It's hard, but God's plan, let me tell you, it's better always in every circumstance and in every situation, he's working something in you or through you or both. And he has a plan for you, whatever season you might be in. And so here's your application for this message. It's not a go out and do. It's a think about and internalize. Number three, you can confidently submit to God's plan for your life. I think for many of us, for years and years, we've been kind of like trying to put a distance between who we are and my plans and God's plan. But you know what submission is? A submission is giving up to someone who knows better in this case. And maybe that's exactly what we need to do today. We need to just 
for once in a long time, just say, Lord, I trust you. And this is not the way that I would have planned my life, but I'm submitting to your plan for your, my life because your plans are better always. Now, let me give you a little bit of a help in how to get there. And I told you that this is not easy. But if we could go back to what God or the angel called Mary at the very beginning of the greeting in verse 28, we read this before. He started by greetings, you who are highly favored. And I told you this word is related to the word undeserved love or grace. Do you know what Mary recognized before she was able to say, I am the Lord's servant. She recognized how God felt about her. And that is that she was highly favored. That is she, I'm guessing, understood God's love and that that was the catalyst for submission to God's plan. Greetings, you who are highly favored. And when you know someone loves you, when you know they have your best interests in mind, it's so much easier to trust them, even if you don't understand all the details. Kids do this all the time. Think about a four or five-year-old as an example. And let's say they have the flu, they get sick. And parents will come up with all these different syrups and concoctions and vitamins and B this and D that and C this and, you know, and, and give them all these things. And, and kids, four or five years old, they don't ask what they're taking usually. They just ask, you know, is this going to taste good? Or what does it taste like? You know, and you could be giving them anything, but they trust because they know you love them. And so they don't ask too many questions. They just trust the love of their parents. And that's where this submission needs to come from. Our last villain. Confidence in God's plan develops from confidence in God's love. And what I'm saying to you online or to you in the room is if you don't understand God's unconditional love for you, it's going to be very, very difficult, if not impossible, to submit to his plan for your life. Because the ability to submit begins with an understanding of his love. So Mary was highly favored and chosen by grace to do what? To be the mother of the son of God. And what I want you to know today is that Mary was highly favored and chosen by grace. And so are you. Not to be the mother of the son of God, but what Jesus' death and resurrection tells me and tells all of us is that you are chosen and highly favored to be his child. And that we had nothing to do with it. There's nothing we can do to help God love us. But instead, before time, he had this plan for a savior who would come, an expected savior coming in an unexpected way. 
and that he would do all that was needed so that you don't have to question his love for you and you don't have to question whether you're highly favored. The cross settles that question and tells us forever that we're loved by him. So if you're anything like me, I'm guessing that there are certain plans for your life that you had years ago that haven't gone exactly the way you would have wanted. And it's very easy for us to get frustrated and upset about that. And there are gonna be days like that. But my encouragement for you is to recognize how God feels about you. To recognize that through the unexpected conception of Jesus, that we've been given forgiveness and a home in heaven and that we can be confident about God's plan for our lives, even when the details are unexpected. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this scripture and for Luke writing it down, for you inspiring him to do that and pray that through it, we see not only the faith of a young girl from Nazareth, but we see more so the reason for her hope, the reason for her submission, that we see you, God, completing the work of our salvation, not only at Bethlehem, but also in Jerusalem on the cross. Lord, I I would pray for your blessing upon every single one of us that we might trust you more. And, And as we get ready to take communion here in the room, we confess, Lord, that there are times where we don't trust you like we should. There are times where we've complained. There's times where we've been anxious or worried and, um, and haven't held on to you, haven't trusted like we could. Lord, we lay those things at the foot of the cross and know that through your son, Jesus, they're all forgiven. We pray this all in Jesus, our Savior's name.